Welcome to Allied, the podcast for everything you need to know about web and video accessibility. I'm your host, Elisa Lewis, and I sit down with an accessibility expert each month to learn about their work. Every episode has a transcript published with it, which can be viewed by accessing the episode on the 3Play Media website. If you like what you hear on Allied, please subscribe or leave a review. Allied is brought to you by 3Play Media, your video accessibility partner. Visit us at www.3playmedia.com to learn why thousands of customers trust us to make their video and media accessible. Today we're joined by Alan Hale, the Accessibility Strategy Manager at General Motors and a disability justice advocate. Alan has a passion for bringing people together and connecting different skilled teams to ensure people with disabilities are included in the automotive design process and promoting the accessibility of autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles, and beyond to be inclusive for everyone. Alan brings his work in accessibility advocacy to his community, providing guidance and advice to local businesses and government on how to meet and exceed ADA standards for the true inclusion of people with disabilities. Thank you so much, Alan. We're so happy to have you on the show today to talk about accessibility in the auto industry. Before we dive into our theme today, I'd love to know a little bit more about you. What's something important about who you are that's not covered in your formal bio? Ooh, thanks for that. Great question. And thanks again for having me today. Um, I'd say something about who, who I am is uh, I, I have a, a low tolerance for injustice. <laughs> and um, uh, I was describing to a friend just just uh, the other day of when uh, I was uh, in the scouts as a, as a youth and um, uh, there was things that weren't right. And so I, I helped start a, a new Boy Scout troop. Uh, and, and I feel like some of those early lessons in my life have translated to different moments in my career too, where um, if, I, if I see an opportunity for uh, better inclusion to happen, um, I try to go at things from a few different angles to, to help promote that. And um, something as I collect all these instances through my life, I think I've realized that it really just comes down to this. Uh, I, I can't stand for injustice uh, too long if I see it happening. So it's something I try to bring uh, every day and, and helping make the world a better place. That's great. Um, it's pretty cool that you've been an advocate from your early days. Is there something that you would maybe attribute, um, you know, in your childhood to that? Or is it just kind of something that you uh, you know, saw and, and just felt like a calling to, to really help, um, make the world a bit more just? That's a very introspective question. Um, I, I mean, maybe it's too many cartoons, uh, things like Captain Planet and others. <laughs> um, I, I'm not really sure what the foundation of that was, but I, I think it is really listening to, to, to history, uh, here, especially in the U S and, um, and also having uh, role models, maybe both uh, non-fictional and fictional, um, who, who also have low tolerances for injustice. Um, I've also been told by my parents that my, my second word uh, as a baby was Batman. So <laughs> <laughs> okay. maybe that has something to do with it. 
Um, cool. I also love the phrasing that you use there, a low tolerance for injustice. I think I'm going to have to have to add that to my vocabulary. Diving into our topic for today, from making General Motors more accessible for disabled employees to ensuring that your products are accessible for customers with disabilities, um, and then to also advocating for accessibility in your home community of Ferndale, Michigan. It's clear that access has permeated a lot of your life um, from your example that you just gave as well. It started at a young age. How did you first get involved in accessibility work in the auto industry and uh, local transportation issues? Yeah, um, and great question. A, a lot of it stems from um, the, the, the passion that kind of lights my fire every day is uh, my partner is a wheelchair user and has a spinal cord injury. Um, her, her and I actually met while we were both at Ford Motor Company. Um, and quickly, uh, I, I got involved in the ERG alongside her. Um, and, and I got to learn a lot through uh, the employee resource group that Ford had of, of what accessibility looks like and what issues employees with disabilities were facing um, and, and how to start tackling those. And then um, I'd say during, during my time at Ford Motor Company and growing my career into autonomous vehicles, um, starting to see that, that opportunity of just talking about accessibility with people and um, I'd say that's when it extended to my, my personal life and more of my community um, is finding out that often people maybe don't discuss accessibility and don't, don't talk about how customers with disabilities use their products uh, enough um, and where um, steering something like Ford Motor Company at the time seems like uh, an immovable mountain. Uh, I was able to get involved really heavily in the Metro Detroit region and my local city of Ferndale uh, to, to start asking about how to handle accessibility and how to uh, improve equity for people with disabilities in our community. And um, that opened a lot of doors and, and people, I think, especially in, in urban planning and other areas, um, this is a hot topic for uh, every city across the U.S. So people are really receptive to those conversations and, and just kind of having a curious mind and asking. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely seems like, um, you know, people are, are becoming more aware and, and really starting to, to question things in, in their environments and their communities. So that's great. General Motors has a mission to be the most inclusive company in the world. What does this look like on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I think this was a really big transformation at General Motors that um, happened around 2020, where we, we really took on this mission and added uh, be inclusive as a corporate value. And, and what it really means is uh, to, to step back and listen. Um, and I think that's at the core of it is, is taking a pause um, from what are maybe very stressful business operations and, and uh, a lot of things moving at once and just taking a pause and listening to our employees and listen to their experiences uh, and, and then lean into that. Um, and I think our leadership has done a great job of be, becoming better listeners um, and, and translating that into action. And can you share a little bit more about GM ABLE, General Motors Employee Resource Group for People with Disabilities? Yeah, so uh, GM ABLE uh, is, is a grassroots group that uh, it's actually 
um, one of the older ERGs for, for corporations in the U.S., um, where it was started as an affinity group in 1993 as GM People with Disabilities. Um, and, and from there, it's, it's grown, it's had its, its ups and downs. But um, uh, it, again, kind of since we adopted Be Inclusive, uh, our group has more than quadrupled. We've gone from uh, 200 members in 2020 to uh, over 970. Um, and, and this is something that as we uh, build identity around what disability is um, and help expand people uh, people's perception to know that it includes neurodiversity, it includes uh, cognitive disabilities, it includes chronic pain. Um, we've really started to build a strong identity around that and then really making it clear to that we're a resource for caregivers. So people who maybe don't identify with disability themselves, but care for uh, parents or children or other family members. Um, and then allyship is really important as well. So knowing that um, we can't do it alone. Uh, and as anyone who works uh, in the accessibility domain knows, um, it, it can be very uh, emotionally tolling to, to work on something so vital for so long. And, and the role of an ally in that domain uh, is just so important uh, to keep the momentum and keep the support up. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, and it's it's fantastic that there's a group like this that really kind of brings people together and, and supports um, everyone in, in the workplace. Um, I'm curious, just uh, stepping back for a second, was it be um, inclusive? Is that what you said? Um, yeah. I'm curious, how did be inclusive come about as kind of this company um, mission or, or, or goal? Do you know what the foundation or kind of background of really bringing that to the forefront was? Yeah, there's there's certainly some scholars in um, our, our diversity, equity, and inclusion team who could speak uh, more to this than I can, but uh, a lot of it came from the, the events that happened in June 2020 around uh, George Floyd and uh, the, the amount of response uh, from the U.S. and the globe um, and I think a lot of corporations in the U.S. kind of took a look at what what they can do to do better. Um, and that really fostered the, the kind of spark and catalyst um, to, to what I described earlier of, of really sitting back and listening uh, and listening to our employees who have experiences. We, we had leaders uh, at GM who are Black share their experience of teaching their teenage uh, children how to drive and and how to uh, handle a police altercation and and go through the ins and outs of that. And to a lot of our white employees, that's not something every parent has to teach their children. And and it's moments like that really build this culture of all of us in every group and team in GM, whether it's the the three person team working on uh, some small widget or or a massive program team working on the launch of the next truck, we, we can all step back and listen. And there's a lot of power in that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, and it's, it's interesting to hear a little bit of kind of the background of how that came to be. And um, it's wonderful. I think that that GM also is able to realize that all of these pieces of inclusivity, including accessibility, um, you know, really all go hand in hand and are, are so important and have such a larger impact um, on everybody than than a lot of individuals often realize. 
So at the time of this recording in May 2022, General Motors homepage advertises that you're making electric vehicles for all with the goal of putting every driver in an electric vehicle on a scale previously unseen. Um, This is really incredible. It's very exciting for a future with possibly zero emissions. Um, And I'd love to learn more about how GM keeps disabled people at the forefront of innovation. I think we've seen, you know, particularly over the last um, several years, technology can be great for accessibility, but it's also easy for new and advancing technologies to create um, new barriers. So how is GM ensuring accessibility, um, you know, is at the forefront of this innovation and what changes are being made to make sure that electric vehicles are accessible? Yeah, great, great question. And that that story of GM launching our campaign for uh, the tagline is everybody in uh, with a capital EV. Um, that tagline has meant so much to our work ahead of, uh, I think it was actually the, the day I went in front of several vice presidents to, to pitch um, the need for an accessibility team um, is when our, our marketing and comms folks launched the Everybody In campaign. And, and that momentum and that power of um, us committing to creating a future that includes everybody uh, was so important for our work through the lens of disability inclusion and accessibility. Um, and it, it, it's your, your spot on. There's, uh, you have to be very mindful of new technologies as you're launching um, to, to build something that's truly inclusive or, or you run the risk of leaving people behind. Um, and, and that's always in the forefront of my mind with, um, I'd say, a moment that lit my fire in this space when we talk about opportunity new technology has was when uh, rideshare services were just launching. Uh, my, my partner and I were in the, the Bay Area in San Francisco, and we, we had this day where we were trying to get the rideshare service. Uh, it's still, they, they hadn't even launched in Detroit yet. So it was still kind of a new experience for us. Um, and it was a, a day in San Francisco that was just pouring rain. Uh, and we just wanted to get from point A to point B to, to meet up with our friends. And uh, they had all told us to u- use Lyft or Uber and it's the best way to get around San Francisco. And uh, as we're getting soaked in the rain, uh, we had to go through ordering three different rides until uh, one stop to pick us up. Um, and, and one of those rides made it clear they wouldn't pick us up because of my wife's wheelchair. Um, and, and others just kind of silently passed us by. And that, that moment really also transformed my perception of unless a company really sees and recognize how people with disabilities interact with their products, um, you get left on the curb. Uh, and so that, that's one of the missions that really drives me is uh, raising awareness and raising education as we're going through our electrification transformation of, of getting people exposed to understanding how people with disabilities interact with their products. And that's a, a core foundation of what our team set out to do. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing, um, you know, that experience and that story. I'm curious, in addition to sort of that personal story, what are some other examples of barriers in cars um, that can happen when we don't include disabled individuals in every step of the design process? Yeah, there's um, a lot of it is also just maybe not recognizing what what technologies are accessible and, and what contributes to better accessibility in a vehicle. 
Um, the, the lowest hanging fruit and, and one that we use very clearly is um, there's a big up and down across the industry in General Motors system alone. Um, there's a big up and down of how grab handles are treated. Uh, so something as simple as a driver side grab handle um, and understanding the importance of that where may, maybe to uh, an able-bodied customer um, or, or a non-disabled customer, I, that grab handle is maybe an inconvenience, maybe their head brushes on it when they get in. And so it's, it's easy sometimes for, for people to decide that that's not important to have in a vehicle. Um, but for some people with disabilities, um, having the ability to, to have perpendicular motion to transfer into a vehicle, that, that's a make or break decision. And uh, it's one of those things that um, also as safety improves in vehicles, it's harder and harder to ever add on a grab handle uh, as an aftermarket add-on uh, because now there's like maybe airbags there. Uh, or other vital parts that neither a dealership or a third-party mobility upfitter could could handle. Um, so something as small as grab handles are one of those things that unless people really see the value and experience in it, uh, can often fall to the wayside. And you can you can see this. You can walk into probably any dealership from any automaker today and see very um, uh, mixed use of grab handles and how they're placed. Yeah. I, I love that you use that as an example. I think, you know, it's something that I've always seen in, in cars and kind of taken for granted. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's kind of a simple technology. Like when we think of technology now, we often think of, uh, you know, kind of the most innovative and, um, you know, most advanced, but that is a, a piece of technology and a tool that, like you described, can have a, a very significant impact. Um, but you know, if you if you haven't had the experience of using it, it, it appears to be you know pretty simple. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I'm curious what um, some other modifications that General Motors can make to vehicles um, are to make them accessible for drivers and passengers with disabilities. Um, thinking back to your example about you know Lyft and Uber. Um, and non-disabled people, you know, might commonly think of wheelchair access, a wheelchair accessible van, um, for a disabled passenger, but, um, you know, I, I know that there, there are other things to consider and, and many more pieces of, of technology that can be pretty impactful. Yeah. So the, I'd say one that's really interesting to me, and it's, it was actually in the news just a few months ago where, um, Often in automotive accessibility, we, we're one of the most regulated industries from a lens of safety. Um, and it's because unlike an iPhone, um, a, a vehicle is a two to four ton uh, object on wheels uh, that has a lot of power and a lot of uh, opportunity for things to go wrong. So safety is really critical to everything we do. Um, and one of the, the exciting bits of news that um, popped up just a couple months ago is uh, NHTSA, the, the safety organization that we follow heavily, uh, relaxed guidelines uh, for rental car companies of providing things like uh, hand controls uh, to, to rental cars. Um, and, and this is one of those examples of things that in, in the past, uh, when a person with a disability calls up a rental car company for modifications that allows them to drive, um, it can get mishandled. Rental car company can try to say, 
uh, no, we, we don't do X, Y, Z vehicles, but we can give you um, the, the large, ugly one <laughs> instead, because that's the easiest one for us to do hand controls in. Um, and often it's, it's because it's the only vehicle that they can do hand controls in um, just because of safety re- regulations. They, they have to disable the near airbags pretty often. Uh, and there's usually a lot of mechanical parts that go in with hand controls. So sometimes they have to, to cut certain parts um, of that footwell to fit them. Uh, but, but now with this new NHTSA guidance, I think there were three or four different pillars that really relaxed some of that and, and opened up opportunity for rental car companies uh, to add these hand control modifications and other, other controls. Um, and it's things like that, that as we look ahead as General Motors, um, being prepared for that opportunity of uh, it, it's such a, nobody knows our vehicles better than General Motors. So having the ability to, to lean into that and find how to best reach customers uh, so that uh, next time a wheelchair user wants to rent a Corvette uh, as they, they head to the Florida Keys, um, they can get that and, and the rental car company uh, wouldn't have an excuse to say no. Um, the, the other low-hanging fruit too is when we look at digital accessibility in our vehicles where the, the head unit and the HMI is more important to the customer than ever before um, leaning into that with, I think there's a lot of quick wins to be gained of focusing on digital accessibility through the lens of, uh, those interfaces in the vehicle. Um, and, and that's an opportunity for us to really explore. And it's something that, uh, of course, anyone who designs software knows it's, it's not magic and it takes time and effort. Um, but to an automotive company where we're often our biggest limitation is mass and physical parts and that delivery, uh, software is actually just one of the biggest quick wins we can get. Yeah. I think that's such an interesting thing that you brought up. Um, you know, I think in this conversation, even thinking about, um, accessibility as, as just being able to access the car, but, um, accessibility is really, you know, being able to access all features of the car and, and having that equal, um, experiences as everyone, you know, as, as any other individual. Um, so kind of, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the point about sort of the interface and, and our cars are, are so, you know, that's a, that's a big piece of, of cars nowadays is kind of the technology and, um, you know, from the, uh, not just the car functioning as a vehicle, um, but all the different sort of pieces, um, that come along with it. So I think that's a really great point. I, I'm curious, you know, we talked a little bit about electric vehicles. In addition to electric vehicles, I know that you do a lot of work with autonomous vehicles as well. Um, I'm curious first, if you could kind of, um, you know, give a little bit of a, a definition of what autonomous vehicles are. Um, I know that there's still a little bit of, of mystery and kind of uncertainty um, there. Um, and then you know, while it might take a long time for driverless cars to become ubiquitous, um, it certainly seems that autonomous vehicles have the potential to increase automobile accessibility um, and, and certainly independence for individuals with disabilities. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your thoughts there. Yeah, I guess to, to unpack the first part of how we define uh, autonomous vehicles, um, I think the industry has really rallied around the SAE definition. So there's the SAE level one through five, 
um, where uh, level one is kind of like your, your basic cruise control uh, that we have today in, in just about every car. Uh, level two is that adaptive cruise control where um, it's kind of like the added safety systems um, that still definitely have to have hands on the wheel, full attention, but it, it helps a little bit. Um, and where we see, I think the industry largely is at and, and systems um, that exist on the road from some uh, newer uh, electric vehicle companies um, uh, are, are really leaning into like what's defined as level three, where it's, it's that really robust self-driving system, um, but only in kind of like limited areas that have been uh, clearly defined and mapped and your, your vehicle maybe has some uh, awareness and intelligence of the place it's in. So usually like very simple highways and freeways where, where driving is pretty simple. Um, level four is where we start to get into emerging things. So really that um, I, from kind of like beginning to end uh, a self-driving system that can get you most of the way, but can't handle all the cases. And so it still requires driver participation a little bit, but um, maybe it, it's as simple as like geofence. I think this is where the industry is still kind of redefining what those SAE levels are um, as, as, SAE level four is, is going through transformation and some solutions are hitting the market. Um, SAE level five, now that's the dream. And that's, that's where uh, this is the fully self-driving vehicle that um, never requires a person and you just get in and it takes you to where you want to go. Um, and that's where I think we're still in uh, a little bit of science fiction for the future, but it's, it's one that we know is going to be here before we know it. Um, so I hope that kind of defines the uh, what autonomy is at high level. And, and I think what we see is through the lens of disability inclusion um, is really listening to the customers who want that experience. Of they, they want a safe ride that can get them to the things they love without um, having to be judged, without having to face discrimination. And this is when we look at how paratransit systems and a lot of public transportation in the U.S. works today, um, it's not easy. And anyone who's navigated the system knows um, it, it takes almost as much time to schedule as it does to take a ride. Uh, and then if you get through scheduling, maybe you get a driver who um, isn't properly trained or doesn't have the right attitude or maybe asks uh, intruding questions. And when, when a lot of people, I think, get excited for autonomous vehicles, it, it's just being able to go out, do what you want without somebody there to, to get in the way or judge. Um, on the flip side too, this is where we get into kind of the, the future of autonomy and what we need to be aware of is a lot of what's defined in things like the ADA are, are all based on fixed route transportation that assumes that there's a driver there. So when we look at um, uh, the horizon of, of new standards, uh, so much of that is assuming that there's a person somewhere in the mix to, to help you get up the, the slope uh, defined for like how buses work. Um, it's assuming that there's a person there to help you uh, tie down a chair or, or help get to your seat. Um, and a lot of that is transforming right now. And, and that's where it's really important to include people with disabilities in the process uh, all the way from early design uh, early customer experience mapping uh, all the way through execution.
Yeah. So on that note, it's a, it's a great segue to what I wanted to ask next, which is, you know, we've we've seen many articles pointing to the fact that individuals with disabilities are continuously being left out in the planning process of autonomous vehicles. And I'm curious if you can share a little bit about how General Motors is approaching autonomous vehicles and accessibility together. Yeah, great question. Um, so we, we work really closely with uh, crews on a breadth of things uh, to, to address accessibility in the autonomous future. I, I think the biggest thing is really taking, taking the mantle of where so many discussions about autonomous vehicle have happened through the lens of maybe public policy or from communications. And I think what, what we see as the biggest opportunity is to put it in the hands of engineers. Uh, engineers are the ones who know how to solve problems. Uh, we also at General Motors, we have some amazing engineers with disabilities who truly understand what it takes to achieve this. Uh, we, we have just an awesome community too of uh, people who have shared their stories and have connected with leaders in, in our organization. Um, and when we think of the future of bringing disability inclusion and accessibility to autonomous vehicles, uh, taking a strategy of including people with disabilities at every stage of the way is the only way to get there. Um, and it's, it's got to be done, I'd say, by engineers with disabilities, customer experience, uh, experts with disabilities. And um, that's the only way it's going to happen. It's not going to happen through public policy and it's not going to happen through uh, PR and comms. But um, having engineers at the table and meeting with the community um, and, and getting out there, I think that's going to really transform our industry. Yeah, that's a, a great perspective. And I, you know, I think you're right at the end of the day, it really is about people um, and the, the right people kind of being in there and, and people being open to, to feedback and, and to learning and to making sure that what they're creating works um, for a, a wide range of individuals with different needs. Um, I know we kind of started the conversation a little bit um, about some of your, your personal life and interest in advocacy and justice. I'm curious if you could share more how your professional career has impacted your approach to disability justice in your community and, and vice versa. Yeah, I, I see a lot of it building on each other. And it's one that uh, I've gone through stages of keeping them separate and tying them together. And um, I think with my new role at General Motors as our accessibility strategy manager, I, I truly get to kind of fulfill that mission of bringing my whole self to work. And um, that, that's a part of our be inclusive uh, and, and sense of belonging that GM is driving. Um, and it, it's where uh, so often uh, in engineering and, and in uh, the automotive industry, it, it's sometimes easy to forget uh, really how people get from point A to point B. So having that experience of, of being able to interact with my community and, and fighting for accessibility kind of on the front lines with um, just my local city government and uh, local businesses, um, I, I'm able to kind of build those experiences and, and kind of funnel that lens in through General Motors and the work that I do. Um, and, and it also provides just a, a lot of passion and relief to me as well, where um, 
if I'm not able to get something through in accessibility at General Motors, uh, I can come back to my community and I, I can help a restaurant uh, get some low top seating to mix in with their high top seating on the side. And, and that to me helps uh, really keep up my personal momentum of um, that there's always wins to be had and uh, it, it's always an opportunity to grow and learn too. Um, maybe, maybe one experience that uh, this kind of touched I'd say all layers of, of both the community side, um, my role in leadership in, in GMable, our employee resource group, um, and, and what we're doing for product is, is around um, uh, last year's Autism Acceptance Month, where we're in this transformation of going from Autism Awareness Month to Autism Acceptance Month to really sit back, sit back listen to voices with aut of autism, and embrace how we can do better uh, and taking uh, some lessons learned from my community where we worked a lot, a lot with the local police department on some of their messaging uh, around autism acceptance. Um, I was able to bring that up through the ERG uh, to transform. It had been labeled awareness and we relabeled it acceptance. Um, and then it was also able to, to listen to uh, our employees with autism who wanted to share their experience. Of, of how they interact with a vehicle. So uh, this is kind of like the chain of, of being able to take that community work uh, and, and translate it to a, into action in all these different domains. Um, and I look at that lesson as something I try to sustain uh, as much as I can. Yeah, that's a really cool story. And I'm sure very rewarding to kind of see everything tied together and, and come full circle and, and sort of um, uh, yeah, it's like a little bit of a cycle, like taking what you're learning from one place and kind of implementing it in the next, um, is super exciting. Um, so on that note, I'd love to learn a little bit more about some of the work that you do in Ferndale to make the city a more accessible place. Um, I know you also focus on advocating for inclusion over compliance, and I'm curious to hear a little bit about what this means and, and how it impacts your work in Ferndale. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, and, and maybe one of my favorite topics, we just had our commission meeting uh, on Monday. So it's it's fresh in my mind. But um, when we started our commission, and our commission had existed in the past, um, more with a mission uh, in the mid 2000s of, of getting our public facilities and buildings to, to really start to meet ADA requirements. Um, when our commission was rebooted, and I think it was late 2018, where we sat down with a few council members, um, we really talked about like there, there were new businesses opening in Ferndale at the time that, that weren't meeting uh, ADA standards. But then having such a diverse commission where we have neurodiversity represented, uh, we have mobility disabilities represented, and we had um, the deaf community represented as well. Um, we know that ADA has some gaps <laughs> and, and when it comes to neurodiversity and um, uh, what, what a, like a deaf friendly space looks like, those aren't necessarily captured in building code today and they're not captured in the ADA today. Uh, so as we look at our commission of, of really uh, promoting that, that the ADA is there to ensure that people with disabilities feel equal in the spaces that they're in. Um, that, that's really the root of it. And some of that gets translated into building code to support mobility disabilities, but ultimately it, it's about the feeling that people experience. And, and when we look at city government, 
uh, a lot of folks haven't thought of it through that lens of, of the compliance part. Like when, when we talk about accessibility, uh, conversations would often jump to uh, ADA compliance. But then when we asked if they've ever reviewed this with someone with a disability before, um, they, they said no. And then there's examples all over of curb cuts placed maybe 50 feet away from uh, the accessible routes uh, and, and things like that are just common sense improvements that if they included people with disabilities and really thought of how a person with disability would interact uh, with it, it, it would easily change. Um, so that, that's something uh, we've gotten to sit down with most of the city departments in Ferndale to have this kind of discussion. Um, and, and we've built some just amazing allies in the, the DDA and our uh, public works department uh, across the police department. Um, and, and I think every city council member has touched our commission at some point for some topic. Um, the thing we're really looking forward to coming up in just one month is uh, we'll, we'll be operating a sensory space at uh, Ferndale Pride, which is one of the largest pride festivals in the state of Michigan. Uh, and, and we get to kind of build out a space where people with neurodiversity can feel welcome and can kind of escape the crowds for a little bit. Uh, so, so when we talk about inclusion over compliance, there's nothing that mandates the sensory space today, um, but adding our experience uh, and telling that story uh, and working with others to build out this space where people can feel comfortable, uh, that's what inclusion looks like. Yeah, that's really exciting. I, um, I'll i be curious to to hear more after the event and, and would love to, to hear how, um, you know, kind of that sensory space goes. I, I think, you know, to your point, the ADA is great and the the sort of mission and goal of it is great, um, but certainly there have been so many changes, um, you know, since the ADA was written. And so really kind of using it as, um, as sort of that guiding mission, um, but not as the sort of, you know, end all be all um, and, and really thinking about people and what, what individuals need um, and, and, actually what the experience is like, um, is, is so important. So I, I think that's exciting that you've been able to kind of help others take a step back and, and think like, well, have you actually tried this, um, or ask someone who, um, has a disability, how, how this works for them, um, rather than kind of just like going off of a, you know, a, a set of guidelines. Um, so that's really exciting. There's, there's another part of it too. And it's um, when our commission first formed, we, we had the conversation of, uh, are we going to offer the carrot or the stick (laughs) and, and figure out how we, how we can approach that? Because we, I'd say when we were born is out of frustration of there, there were buildings that weren't accessible and there were processes that weren't accessible. Um, But through some wisdom of, of people in our commission, uh, we really wanted to take um, a proactive approach and one that was welcoming. So we we went through our, our first mission and one, uh, again, like we're kind of doubling down in advance of uh, Disability Pride Month, um, is offering businesses an award to, to highlight themselves, allow customers to nominate businesses, but also businesses can self-nominate. But we, we defined some criteria that if if you think there's effort that's been had to include people with disabilities, uh, that's something we wanna recognize. And it's, it's not about meeting ADA minimums. Um, it, it's about really taking the extra step uh, to do that. And, and 
our, our first and probably biggest award was to um, uh, a local cannabis dispensary, uh, which, which was controversial a, a little bit because no one knew how they'd interact with the community. But um, this, this cannabis dispensary took time to train all of its 80 person staff of how to use basic sign language. And they hosted wow. classes every Saturday morning to do that. Um, and if you, if you go to this place, um, their security guards out front are trained to uh, ask if you need any help. They have a foldable wheelchair ready to help if somebody needs it to get in. Um, and, and there's no other business in our city that's as proactive as that. So uh, it was a surprise to find it in that industry segment, but it's, it's one that tells a really vibrant story of what inclusion looks like. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. Um, so as we wrap up, I'm curious if you could pick one or two pieces of advice to share with our listeners um, who want to make their company or their community or products more inclusive for people with disabilities. What would that be? Yeah, I, I think it was kind of in the question of the community part is really important. And it's sometimes uh, thinking about accessibility and how to uh, improve disability inclusion, it, it can feel sometimes like it's you against the world and it can feel like um, maybe you're the only one really pushing for it or thinking of it and, and it can be lonely and isolating, but where you can find success is in finding community. And I, I can guarantee you that you have neighbors, you have colleagues, uh, who are passionate about accessibility uh, and finding ways to seek those people out. Um, at a company like General Motors, we have GM Able, our employee resource group, where we're, we're very open <laughs> about sharing those experiences. But um, taking time to, to find community, um, both at work, um, in where you live, uh, or in your region, uh, just it's so important. Um, I, and I can't stress that enough of no, no one's alone uh, and you, you'll, you'll find your tribe and you'll find your, your people who can help you uh, on your mission to build a more inclusive future. So uh, without sounding too hokey, it's, it's all about the, those relationships and the community you build. Thank you so much for that advice. And lastly, where can our listeners find you and connect with you online to, to stay on top of everything that you're doing, both, you know, in your community and at General Motors? Yeah, I want to offer um, probably LinkedIn um, is the best place to find me. Um, my, my last name is spelled H-E-J-L, uh, and it's very unique. I think I'm one of two maybe in the globe, uh, Alan Hale. Um, but if... Um, uh, that's a good first step. And then I, I try to find out how to meet people kind of where they're at. So uh, whether it's a quick um, morning phone call or um, just connecting over email afterward, um, that, that LinkedIn, I think is a great starting spot. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Allied. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave us a rating and review. To catch all of the latest on accessibility, visit www.3playmedia.com backslash Allied Podcast. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.